Well, good morning. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. How y'all doing this morning? Praise God. Let's stand together and let's sing. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin.
Amen. Let's give him praise for that truth this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. It's, it's good to see you this morning. I hope everybody has had a fantastic week, and we, we're still praising God for last week, and what a really great turnout uh, that we had that week. We uh, had, uh, uh, I guess, over a 1,000 people come through for the three services, which is fantastic. We've never had that before, but, uh, and even though there are time to get excited about numbers, what we really rejoice in is we honestly believe that the gospel was preached, and over a 1,000 people was able to hear the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so... We're so grateful for that. We're so thankful for that. But I hope you have had a great week. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn uh, in them to the book of Acts chapter 2, to the book of Acts chapter 2. If you're new to Mercy Hill, maybe you're new coming, I've been doing a series on Sunday mornings through uh, the book of Acts entitled Join the Movement, Join the Movement, that a church is not merely a place that you come, but it is a movement of people who have been set apart by Jesus for a particular purpose. That purpose is to know him, to make him known. And so we're working through the book of Acts to see specifically what is it that that looks like. And we come to, again, Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 41 in just a moment. But if you are a first-time guest with us, I just want to let you know how much, uh, how, much uh, we're, how excited we are that you are here and how grateful we are that you have come. There's so many other churches in this area that you could have gone to. And for whatever reason, maybe an invite by a friend or maybe just driving by, whatever, uh, you are here, and we thank God for that. And we want to ask you just do a few things. Uh, if you want to know more about Mercy Hill, uh, we're not. If you find out that we're not breaking out snakes and doing strange things afterwards, and you're like, okay, it's kind of safe-ish. Um, what I want you to do is 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 fill out a connection card if you don't mind, and place that in the offering plate as it goes around, so that we can have uh, a record of your visit with us. You'll find those in the seat back pocket of the chairs that are in front of you. But I also want to encourage you to go by to our welcome desk. It's the big orange wall out in the foyer. Stop by there after the service, and there'll be some folks there to be able to answer any questions that you might have about Mercy Hill, about the different programs and times that we meet, small groups, uh, children's ministry, youth ministries, whatnot. Uh, go by there, and we, we're going to give you a free gift as well. So take advantage of that, if you will. But this morning, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 once again. Are y'all hungry for the word this morning? Amen. All right. Well, let's stand as we read God's word together in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You know, I love this morning, uh, you know, last week, uh, I love from week to week, you never know kind of what you're going to get here all the time. And last week, we had the whole stage just packed full of people, right? And such a small stage. And then this week, we have two, you know, behind (laughs) us. And, And I love that. But there's something really, really good about that because I love sometimes, I love the big, I love the rejoicing, I love all the bands and all the voices, but I also love for us to kind of always make sure that it's not about that, right? That, you know, I've heard it said that if you strip all those things away and you have nothing, then you have nothing when all those things are there. And so what we want to do is we want to be able to sit here, be able to raise our voices as an audience to one, to our God, to be able to sing to him and to be able to sing some really wonderful hymns as well. Some of you are like, that's about time, right? You know, we get that uh, and I get that and I am too. I, I, love, I love hymns. I love hymns, especially the old hymns. So we're going to sing some of that. So I just want to encourage you just to sing to God and let's just have a wonderful time in the spirit. Sound great? Sound good? Okay, so Acts chapter 2. Verse beginning in verse 41, the Bible says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. 
and, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food in, in, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray this morning. Dear Jesus, we come to you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity. Just be able to gather together as a faith family and uh, be able to come. And God, I just pray that after today, there will be added to your faith family from here, from what is said and the, the gospel being preached. God, here's a wonderful passage of scripture for us to set ourselves, Lord, in submission to you to make sure we understand what this is all about and what Mercy Hill is to be about, what we are to focus on, what we are to be devoted to as a faith family. God, I pray that you would move our hearts this morning, that when we leave, some will be saved and some will be further in the faith than ever before. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, I just pray that this whole place will be filled, that we won't be distracted by what's on our right, left, before us, behind us, that God, that we will just be spiritually spellbound and that we will sing to you because you are worthy because of who you are and because of what you've done. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's sing together. Jesus. 
left a crimson saint He washed it white as snow Oh, praise the one who paid my debt And raised his life up from the dead Oh, praise the one who paid my debt And raised his life up from the dead Oh, praise the one who paid my debt And raised his life up from the dead And oh, praise the one who paid my debt And raised his life up from the dead Jesus paid it
let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher, King Jesus. Let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. You are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, and Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all, and Jesus, you are Lord of all, and Jesus, you are Lord of all. Amen. Let's give him praise this morning.
As our ushers prepare to come forward to, as we worship the Lord and giving the tithes and our offerings, um, next weekend we have an event specifically to gather the body in one place. And a time of fellowship, a time of fun, and a time for us just as a church to hang out. And so I would love to invite you next Sunday afternoon out to Main Beach. We're going to have some games set up, um, a kind of one-spot gathering. There will be a white tent out there to kind of let people know where we 
are. Um, but if you're not, um, if you're brand new to Mercy Hill or if you've been here a long time, we would love to invite you just to come and hang out with us, to come to get to know some other folks, um, know some of us. And it's just going to be a fun afternoon um, for the entire family. And so next Sunday afternoon from 3 to 5 or 3 to 6 out at Main Beach. Um, but this morning, I also want to do something a little bit different in our prayer time. And that is, um, if you're new to Mercy Hill, you may not know um, one thing about us, and that is that we are a very missional church, and we want to see the gospel spread from right here in Nassau County um, all across the globe. And um, last year, we sent out one of our own, one of our couples, um, Jared and Whitney, um, to the Middle East to reach um, a specific people group called the Belok People Group. And this group um, is around 8 million people, and there are no known converts and no known believers and followers of Christ to the Belok. And so this morning, what I want us to do during our prayer time is specifically, we're going to pray um, for Jared and Whitney and pray for the Belok as well, just so that the gospel would spread to them. Um, because Jared and Whitney, they're ours. They're our, that we've sent just so the gospel would be spread. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, we thank you for the fact that we're able to worship you this morning, that you are such a holy God, but you are a personal God who wants us um, to be in communion with you, and you sent your son for that sake. And Father, this morning, I just want to lift up Jared and Whitney as they're on the field and just pray that you'll just continue to keep them strong and continue to to use them in an incredible way in making relationships and being able to share the gospel with those who have never heard. And Father, I pray this morning specifically for the Belok that you would um, uh, call some of them to salvation, that it would start a church planning movement. And Father, that whenever we get to heaven from right here in Yulee, Florida, that we would be able to see other believers all from all across the globe just as a result of our giving. And Father, I pray also this morning for anyone who is sitting right here in these seats who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they could not resist the call to salvation this morning, Father. Father, we love you and we thank you and we thank you for the opportunity to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ, 
We sing, worthy is our God. Worthy is our God. And worthy is our King. And worthy is the one, and worthy is the one, to whose praises that we sing, to whose praises that we sing, worthy is our God, and worthy is our King. Jesus, you're worthy of even our quietest of praise. God, you're worthy of our loudest of praise. And this morning, we thank you for the opportunity to lift voices up. God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And we ask this morning that you would speak to us clearly. Thank you for meeting us here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, over the last several weeks, we've kind of looked, had an in-depth look at the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We saw some supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit when he came. Uh, we heard the message of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of, of Peter on that day. And we saw the result of the work of the Holy Spirit and the fact that 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ in one day. One day, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ, which means that they were instantly and, 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 and forever filled with the Holy Spirit at that particular point. He came and he was abiding in them, the Spirit of God living within men. And you can imagine when God lives in you, you begin to live differently. Would you agree? And the Bible teaches us in verses 42 through uh, 46 or four, through 47 here, it gives us a snapshot of really what a spirit-filled church looks like. In other words, uh, these folks came to faith in Christ. They placed their faith in Christ. They were born again, and instantly the Holy Spirit dwells them, and then they begin to commit themselves, or as the Bible says, devote themselves to particular acts, to particular um, practices within the church. Now, that word devoted there uh, is an important word because it literally means uh, to, to give something away. To give something away. Literally, it says that these new believers were giving themselves away or giving themselves to these particular practices, the things that are listed here. This is every bit of themselves being fully and completely committed. Now, I don't think that they begin to do these things, take part in these practices based primarily on some definitive command of the apostles. Let me, let me explain. I don't believe that they were baptized by Peter. They came up from the water to find James and John on the right and left, and James hands them a towel, and John hands them a to-do list, and go, now you're a believer now check off all the boxes this week. I, I don't think that's how it worked. I, I think this is far more organic. 
I think this is far more natural. In other words, these are the things that these people begin to do when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within them. It was natural to them. And, and, and you know, so, so again, there's a picture of what? There's a picture of what the church looks like when it's walking in the Spirit, a Spirit-filled church. Now, I keep using that word picture, and I'm kind of saying it over and over again probably too many times, but I'm doing it purposely because when I talk about picture, I'm, I'm talking about specifically the kind of picture you put on a Christmas card, okay? Now, track with me on this for a moment. If you've ever done this or attempted to do this, you know it's nearly impossible, especially if you have a larger family, to get a photo that is worthy of sending out to anybody, right? And so, and, and so much goes into it. You've got to Get everybody together, which is difficult. You've got to find a place to take the picture. You've got to find some crazy person who's willing to work with you to take the picture. And they are, and they charge lots of money to be able to do so. But to get you that picture, and then you've got to get everybody's attention, everybody together, standing up in the right way, looking at the same way, and all at least looking like they're not miserable inside the picture. After 50,000 photos, you got it right? You got it. You take it. You put it on a Christmas card. You send it out to all the people. They open it up and they go, wow, what a beautiful family. Look at them. They just have it all together. I don't know how they do it. Look at them. They, the parents, they're just amazing parents. Those kids are so well behaved. And, and you're thinking to yourself, you have no idea of the threats that were made that day <laughs> to get everybody where they needed to be at the time. Now, that doesn't mean that what you see on the postcard is fake. This is who you really are when you are at your best, when everything comes together. And this is kind of what we see in Acts chapter 2 here. We love to read and we look at this passage and we think to ourselves, wow, how, how nice, how wonderful. And there's a part of us that longs for this. It doesn't mean that, that, there is, that the church was perfect. We're going to see that very quickly on. They begin to have their problems like every church does, right? You've heard it before. Said, hey, listen, I'm leaving this church. Why? There's problems. And then my question is, well, then where are you going to go? Right? I mean, because every church has problems, because people have problems, and everywhere you go, there's going to be problems, because you are a problem, right? So uh, <laughs> I didn't think that through, but you finally followed me, right? And so wherever it is, I offended people. And um, so, so we, we, we get there, we understand that, but this is kind of like one of those snapshots at the church at its best, when everything just kind of comes together. And when we read it, we, there's something within us that sits there and goes, yeah, I want that. I want that. The, these are things, specifically this morning, we want to look at two things that the, that, that the early believers committed themselves to, two primary areas they devoted themselves to as they were walking in the Spirit. Why do I say that? Because it's the same thing that we at Mercy Hill want to devote ourselves to, these two things. And I, we just want to look at them. It's not going to take long to get through this, and I heard an amen um, quickly. It's not going to take long, but, but notice, they, first of all, they devoted themselves to the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the Word of God. It reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So let me unpack that for a moment. 
Uh, It's important for us to remind ourselves, where is Jesus at this point? Because Jesus physically is not with these believers. Uh, Jesus is not omnipresent. He has a physical body. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? He is interceding for these believers on their behalf to the Father. So physically, he's not there. So it would be appropriate to say, in one sense, in one sense, Jesus' earthly ministry is over at this point, and now he's ruling from heaven. But in another sense, it's equally as accurate to say, no, his earthly ministry is continuing. Jesus continues to minister right here on earth, but it's through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we understand that, right? So it's a continuation on. Now, remember what Jesus said on two different occasions to, to his followers. He said one in John chapter 14 and verse 25. He gathered his disciples together and he said, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, stop and think about it. Disciples are with Jesus for a period of about three years, morning, noon, and night. Jesus is nonstop talking and teaching to them. How much of that do you think they would have, by their own power, by their own mental capacity, could remember all of that teaching? Not much. So Jesus says, don't worry about it. I want you to pay attention. But when I leave, I'm going to send a helper that's going to help you to remember all the things that I have been teaching. Why? A couple reasons, but one big one is found in Matthew chapter 28. Because when we get to Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus leaves, ascends to the right hand of the Father, he says to them, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, what? To teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So here it says they were committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, what are they doing? They're committing themselves to the very teachings of Jesus Christ. These are Jesus' teachings. Now, that's important because on occasion, we'll have somebody from time to time that will come and they'll say things and sounds very spiritual. They just, I think they just don't know how off they are when they say this is maybe you'll get into a small group and you'll, if you've been in church at all, you've done this, or maybe with people at your work and people say that they're a believer and you'll get into some kind of discussion maybe a little bit of a debate about a certain passage of Scripture. And you will say, hey, the Bible commands us to do this. And they'll go, where's that? And then you, you show them where it is in the Bible, and they'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but Jesus didn't say that. Listen, I'm a red-letter guy, right? I'm all about the red letters, they say. You know, the black letters, that's good, but not red letters, baby. That's where it's at. That's where Jesus has spoken, right? As though the black letters, the rest of what's written in there is somehow less authoritative, less godly, less from God, or less from Christ at all. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God, unprofitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped from every good work. So what he's saying here is they're committing themselves to the teachings of the apostles. Why? Because the teaching of the apostles are the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
And when the Holy Spirit abides in you, where does the Holy Spirit drive our focus? To Christ. And because the word of God from beginning to end, black letters included, are all about Christ, from Christ, given to us from Christ, about Christ, guess what? Holy Spirit dwells within you. You're going to be all about the book. You're going to be all about the teaching and hearing the teaching of the word of God. I would expect when I say that, that some of you would sit there and go, that's right. Some of you are going, okay. All right, no, I don't want, okay, I want, that's right. Can I have an all right? That's right? All right, that's right, okay. I don't want to come out there. Don't make me come out there, all right? (laughs) Now, there's an essence here. So they're committing themselves to this. They know these are Jesus' words. And they're devoting themselves. They're giving themselves to these words. Now, and it's a sign of the early church of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want word. Anybody ever experienced that before you get saved? You're like, I don't understand a word that's coming out of your mouth. You go to church and you just don't understand anything. Then when you get there, what you didn't understand before, you come in and you may not understand it all, but for whatever reason, you want it. You want that word. You have a hunger for that word. Now, let me take one more step because I know some people are sitting there and you have that cautious look on your face. That cautious look like, now wait a minute, big fella. Wait a minute. We don't want to get too much in the word. We don't want to study too much of that because there are a lot of dangers involved in this whole teaching of the word of God thing. You could become so theologically sound that you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work. In other words, and I don't know how this works, but that statement, if I just take that statement, what they're saying is, There is some place, I don't know where it is, I don't know how much time, I don't know how much time in the Word you get to this particular point, but there is some time that you can hear and learn so much about the Word of God that all of a sudden you alienate the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's like, that's enough. You you have been in the Word way too much. And he just goes off and he kind of moves over into a different place. What do I think about that? Really? You mean the Word of God that was inspired by the very Spirit of God? You mean the, the, the word of God that according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, that the Holy Spirit moved upon men to produce the very word of God that is written? Do you mean the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses and says, apart from the truth in this word, you cannot be saved because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? You mean the very word that the Holy Spirit drives into us to change us in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. You say, where you say that? Romans 12 and 1 and 2, when it says that we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. How is that through? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in the word. So can you push or alienate the Holy Spirit by studying too much of the word of God? I don't think so at all. If that was the case, then, then, then God is really, really cruel in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, some of you, if you homeschool, you're like, yeah, I know that passage, right? Others are like, what is it? Okay, so let's, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just look at it with me. I think we have it up here. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, this is God speaking. He says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So here's what he's getting at. I'm one God. There is only one God. Only one. Your job and your purpose of existing is to love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. How you doing with that, by the way? Okay, so we understand. So nobody here could say, we have no purpose in life. Here's your purpose in life. Then he is gracious enough to show us how to do it. The way you're going to love me, the one God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might, 
is that you're gonna take these words that I command you today and they shall be on your heart. That's how you're gonna know who I am. That's how you're gonna know how to please me, how you're gonna know how to love me, how you're gonna know what my will and my plan is for your life and for the world. And then he gives us even further instructions. And he says, so you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk with them when you sit in your house, or talk with them when you sit in your house. It's hard to walk while you sit in your house, but to talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them around the sign of your hand, and you shall put on the frontlets uh, between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Is, is God sitting here going, I'm going to give you instructions on how to alienate the work of the Holy Spirit from your children's life and to make them miserable? No. He's saying, what I want for you and what I want for your family is to love God exceedingly above all else in the entire world. And the way to do that is have the word on your heart to saturate yourself. You, when you're sitting, when you're talking, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, put it on your hand, put it on your forehead, put it on the doorpost. Saturate yourself. Why? Because not only do you not alienate the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life to bring the completion of the work that Jesus had already begun in you. It can't be done apart from the word of God. In fact, if you want to see the Holy Spirit work, saturate yourself in the word of God. Saturate yourself. If you want to be a witness for somebody else, saturate yourself with the word of God so that when you speak to them, you're speaking truth and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to see uh, God move in your family, then be saturated in the word. If you want to be transformed, if you want to overcome sin, allow yourself to be moved by the Holy Spirit through the power of the word in which you and I are learning. Here's the question. Are you devoted to the word? Are you devoted to the word? When I ask people just on occasion, they said, man, life is really messed up right now. And you sit there and, and, and the answer is, yeah, man, things are bad. And I ask, hey, have you been in the word? Man, I don't have time for the word. And you say, I say, you don't have time not to be in the word, bro. Look, look, you could be going through the same exact stuff that you are going through, but if you are anchored in the word of God, you will have peace and you will begin to understand how to navigate this because you understand God is a great and awesome God. How do you know that? Only through the study of the word, being saturated in it. Are you? And what I mean by that, are, are you coming consistently on Sunday mornings to hear the word? Are you in a small group where the word of God is being unpacked? And more than anything, are you in the word on a daily basis? And here's the key. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it drives you to be committed and devoted to the word of God. You want it. Even believers that never, I know believers that never really read before. They're like, yeah, I don't read. They get saved, and all of a sudden, they're like, yes. Well, I've been reading Augustine, and uh, back in the front, you know, and you sit there, you're like, how is this possible? And they're like, because I just want to know the word. I don't like reading at all, but I love the word. It's kind of like running. Nobody loves running, but you love to run so you can eat, right? That's why you run, so that you can eat the food. Nobody really just sits there and goes, man, I love to read. Shut up with yourself. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I love you. Be silent in the name of Jesus, right? And so, so that's better. But just, you know, it's not the act of reading. It's what you're getting out of 
the reading, right? I want to know Jesus. It's going to be through his word. So these believers were devoted. We're going to, that's why we record all services so we can use the one that's less offensive. And so, um, so they devoted themselves to the word of God. Are you devoting yourself to the word of God? Second, they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to each other. The Greek word here translated fellowship is the word koinonia. You probably know that. You probably went to some Christian coffee shop called Koinonia at some point in your life, especially if you grew up in the 80s. And so, so here, it, it, this is interesting, this idea of fellowship, in, in this, it, it really holds this idea of partnership. And so what it's talking about, I think that's really descriptive and it's accurate here. And, and the reason for that is if you look over in the book of Philippians, remember when we went through the study of Philippians? Do this and act like you remember anything about that. In the book of Philippians, you might remember that it was one of the most mature churches mentioned in all of the New Testament. And, and Paul begins to praise them in chapter 1 and verse 5. And what does he praise them for? He says, because of their partnership and the gospel from the first day until now. When you come to faith in Christ, you are joining a partnership with Christ and with his people, which means that this Christian life was never intended, never created, never planned by God to be lived in isolation, but rather to be lived with other believers. So the Christian life is, is personal, but it's not private. It's personal in the fact that you can't have a relationship with God through me, your pastor. You can't have it through your parents. You can't have it through your friends or through your spouse. You can only have a relationship with God between you and God, not through somebody else. But it's, at the same time, it's personal. It's not private. It's not to be for you and I to be able to pull away from ourselves and try to work all this stuff out with ourselves, but rather it's supposed to be worked out in a community. One very well-known author and speaker says it like this. He says, you know, this, this whole concept of a, of, a Christian, uh, of a private Christian life is an oxymoron. He says it's like white chocolate, jumbo shrimp, ACC football. All those things are... <laughs> Things that you just don't know that makes it oxymoron. These things don't work. And don't be mad at me, FSU fans. I, I, I said, I quoted someone else. I said, someone else said. I'll give you his name afterwards. You can write him, right? But, but you understand this. It's, it's not to be private. It is, it is to be meant to live with other believers in Christ. Now, let's talk about this fellowship. Let's talk about this partnership. It, we see it in the text. It is a focused fellowship. It's a focused fellowship. Notice what Luke says. He says, in the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, very carefully, if you were to break this down and diagram this, just so you know, as you do with the text of Scripture, everybody does. But as you're breaking it down, you realize that when he says devoted to, he's saying devoted to these four things. They're all equally important, all equally significant. I, I, I'm putting them underneath fellowship, not to demean their significance, but to file them under fellowship to more clearly define what type of fellowship that he's talking about. And I think that's important. Because a lot of people are all about fellowship. I mean, people are like, man, beach, I'll be there. That sounds good. Small group, no way. Bible study, no way. Beach, that's all about me. You should see me cornhole, man. You should see me, I'm a champion, and I'm going to bring it out there. I'm going to show some people some what's up, right? And so they get excited of those things, but we have to make sure that this is a focused type of fellowship in which he's speaking about. And when he says the breaking of bread and of the prayers, he is defining that with us. So there are people all over Nassau County every week who are craving fellowship. You got that, right? And that's why they join biking groups, and they're about car groups, and they're about sports. They want to be with other people. But that's not what it's talking about here. 
What it's talking about is the Christian fellowship, the koinonia in which he speaks, has one primary center to it, and it's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why he says when they come together, it's the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper. Why do we take the Lord's Supper at least every month? It always reminds us and it roots us back to why we're here. We're not here for this reason or that reason or to get this from God. We are here because of the completed work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So it roots us back to that. The prayers are similar in the fact that what it does is it shows us our, our, our need for Christ, right? We pray because we are fully dependent upon him. So this is the type of fellowship which we're speaking about. Now, you can be a part of a car club and still have Christian fellowship. You can be a part of hunting and still be a part of Christian fellowship. I hope so, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's my desire. There have been times that I've hunted with people, no Christian fellowship. But there are times that I've been with other believers. We've had sweet fellowship on the way there and on the way back. Why? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot help but to talk about the things of Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. You may go for a short period of time, but not very long. No matter what the discussion is, it's gonna come back to who? Christ. So this is a focused type of fellowship. It's also a servant fellowship. When we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, in two ways that we serve each other in the church, one is through our spiritual gifts. When somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they receive a probably number of spiritual gifts, but there's usually one that's the strongest of all of it. And, and, and so it kind of raises above everything else. By the way, if you don't know your spiritual gift, you need to see Chris. Chris, raise your hand real quick. You need to see Chris. Chris has got a form for you. He's going to teach you how to use a spiritual gift. Here's why. You can't use a spiritual gift to help others if you don't know what that spiritual gift is. Isn't that a really brilliant statement on my part? Really brilliant this morning. But the idea is he's given us the spiritual gifts. Why? It's for the edification and the building up of the church. Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he has to get on to them. He has to correct them a little bit. Remember the Corinthians, they were all about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the problem was their emphasis was always on the wrong use of those particular gifts. They were using them oftentimes to be able to edify themselves, to be able to build themselves up. And he says to them in correction in 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Use the spiritual gifts. What are they? Things like teaching, things like hospitality, giving, faith, all of those things are spiritual gifts that every single one of us have been giving, not for us to sit back and go, hey, look how cool my gift is, but to be able to share that gift, to be able to encourage each other in the faith. Paul lays it out really clearly in Hebrews, or the writer of Hebrews, rather, writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, says this, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglect, no, stop for a minute, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That means take a moment, sit back, think about the gift that you've been given, and consider how you are going to use that spiritual gift to be able to build up and encourage the body of Jesus Christ. How many have taken the time to sit back to consider that very thing? To, to stir us up on how to love each other, how to serve each other. He says, not collecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. 
The idea there is we have a spiritual gift and we have to be in community with each other in fellowship to make sure that we're using that to encourage each other in the faith. But it's not only our spiritual gifts that we share, it's also our financial gifts that we share. Look look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some people have looked at this and said, well, this was an early type of communism within the church that nobody owned anything. They just gave it all and they put it in a big pot and, and, and the elders begin to distribute them. No, not, 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 not really. There was an essence of that happening, but it's not precisely what was happening. Yes, it was true. The Bible t- teaches us that some people were selling their possessions and belongings. They, they were doing that, but this is willful. This wasn't commanded of them to do. And certainly some of their houses would have been a part of that. Some of their properties would have been a part of that. But, but it doesn't mean that everybody sold their house. If everybody sold and we know that because later on, actually in verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. If they sold their home, they wouldn't have a home, right? And so not, it wasn't something that all of them did. It was voluntary. By the way, this isn't a redistribution of wealth either. Within the church, the picture was not that all the rich people would go ahead and give all of their money to the poor so that everybody had the exact same car, same house, same everything else. It's, it's just not... The picture of the gospel, it's not the picture of the word. It's about very different people coming together and working together. But here's what they did do. When those believers who had in that body saw that there was genuine, legitimate needs in the body of Christ, they would go at every length. They would stop at nothing to be able to meet that need if they could ultimately meet it. That's the kind of fellowship they had. Not only meeting each other's needs spiritually, but meeting each other's needs physically. There's a third thing that this fellowship was. It was also a consistent fellowship. Again, back to verse 46. He says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. You know, for some people, they're, when, they, when they begin to wonder, why am I not growing in my faith in Christ? I don't want to oversimplify this, but sometimes it's just merely because they're not consistent enough in hearing the word of God and joining together in fellowship. Now, I grew up in a culture and a time, now, if you're, if you're old like me, uh, then you'll remember the time where if you weren't in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night visitation, and anything else they had, you got the stink eye, right? I mean, you are, you know, we need to pray for them. They are backslidden. What happened? Well, my car broke down on the way here. No excuses. I don't want to hear excuses for you not to be here, right? Well, my, my wife was having a baby. Well, you bring her with you, all right, to, to the church. So we, we get that. But you know what we often do? We're such a culture of extremes. We go to that particular point where we're like, you know what? What I begin to realize here is that people begin to only recognize a spiritual walk with Christ with their attendance at church. That's kind of what ends up happening with stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is it's not. But at the same time, it has a part to do with it. And so now what we have is we have people. It used to be that you were a faithful member of a church if you came one time a week. If you came to one time a week, you were a faithful member. Now we've had to redefine that. If you come once a month, now the experts define that as being a faithful member or a committed member to a particular congregation. And the truth is, is we don't want to be one of those that go, oh man, you, you think that you have to be in church to be a believer in Jesus Christ? Go and write, go and, I'm not saying that, but I think First John suggests that. But if you don't love the church, 
and you don't want to have anything part of it, then the love of God is probably not in you, something that we need to kind of investigate. But the idea there, it needs to be consistent. Your teaching in the word needs to be consistent. Your using your gifts needs to be consistent. You're, you're coming together. Not this hit and miss thing. Look, I'm not against vacations. Love it, right? Looking forward to one coming up, you know, in a little while. We understand those things happening. But there should be, in a spirit-filled believer, a desire not only to be underneath the word, but to be with God's people. Make sense? All right. So what do we do with all of this? I don't know. You figure it out yourself. No, I'm just, let me, let me say a thing. I'm no expert in church growth, as you can tell from our church. We've grown slowly over a period of time consistently, but we haven't, nobody's writing books about Mercy Hill, which I praise God, at least not this Mercy Hill. There is one up in Greensboro that they are. But the idea is it's just kind of grown. I'm no expert in church growth, but, but let me say this. When you sit down long enough and you talk with people and when they're looking for a church, they're moving to an area like this, you break everything down after, after talking with them and, the, and what they're looking for really falls down to two things. If they're a spirit-dwelled believer, that is that they're a true born-again believer, they're looking for the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God. The second thing that they're reaching for is real, warm fellowship with God's people. Now, there are other things. People will sit there and go, yeah, but, you know, my, my kids need to be in church. You know, okay, we, we got that. But still, if you bring it around, it still comes to these last two things that they devoted themselves to. What is that? To the preaching of the word, to the teaching of the word, committing into fellowship. What good is it if you have one without the other? How many people have I talked to and said, man, it was a great fellowship, warm fellowship, we love it, but bro, we were just dying on the vine, just dying there. Wonderful fellowship. But is it really any better the other way in some ways? If you sit back and you go, hey, listen, we really heard from God today, but not a single person spoke to us. It's, it's, there's something missing there, isn't there? Just something missing. And so at the end of the service, when I often sit there and say, look, turn to somebody, talk with somebody, engage somebody, it's just not because I haven't used enough words through the service and I'm trying to make up more words. What I'm saying is it really does make all the difference for folks. You know, there are many times when people may not be ready to be able to hear the clear teaching of the Word of God. And I understand, look, here, it may not be clear sometimes, <laughs> all right? And that's no fault of God. It's the fault of me. But what engages people and what keeps them is your love and your fellowship and you're looking after them and you letting them know that we care. And let me tell you something. As we grow in the church, as we grow, as Mercy Hill continues to grow, this becomes more and more difficult to be able to do. Even the preaching of the word becomes more difficult to do, not necessarily from what I do on Sunday morning, but yet from what we do, because as the church grows, we need more small group leaders, more Sunday school teachers, more, more, more people who are going to disciple people, and that means you have to trust more people, and when you begin to do that, you kind of lose control a little bit. Does that make sense? So we have to keep working, keep working, and te keep teaching, and keep training people over and over and over again. It's kind of like my family. We've got six kids, right? And they're kind of divided. Like the first three we look at as our children. The second, there's such a big gap, we look at those as our grandchildren, okay? And so, so but what we have to kind of remind ourselves with is right when we, right when we sit back and we go, I feel like we're... I think we're doing okay. We, we kind of covered quite a bit with those first three. And then we look down and we're like, oh no. Wait a minute. We, we got to do this all over again. You mean everything we just taught? Everything we just taught. We have to go through that whole cycle again with each and every one of them. It's how the church is. You never stop teaching the word of God. You never stop doing it. But you have to have that sweet fellowship with each other. You have to have that. 
You have to be in a small group. You have to fellowship with other people. And there's a mutual responsibility. We can set the table, but you have to come to the dinner, right? And let me encourage you to something. And Chris will hug me afterwards. Don't do that. Just, just, just let afterwards. Is sometimes you go to a small group, and it is weird, okay? I mean, it is weird. Your first visit is, like, weird. You know, you get there, and you're like, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> where am I? You know, who is this? And it may be where they're not real friendly. Let me say this. We have no need for any small group in this church not to be overwhelmingly loving, engaging, and embracing to those who come and to be able to visit. Amen? We don't have any of that. But there's a part of you that sometimes it's hard to fit in a little bit. All right? And so when you get, you have to do you, your due diligence. Go in and take a little while. Tell them, hey, listen, I'm here, to be honest. You guys are a little strange, but I'm going to make the best of it. Pastor Mike said for me to be able to do it. You have to hang in there. You don't just abandon family because they're a little strange. How many of you would have family if you abandoned the strange ones? <laughs> right? So we have to get in. We have to do that. Now, very, very quickly, I didn't know this was going to go so long. Let me, let, let me say this. There are three things. You say committed to those. What about evangelizing? What about these different things? Let me show you three outcomes of this kind of living. When, when a church devotes itself to these things, let me, let me tell you what the outcome is. There, there's, there's three of them. The first of all, there's a holy fear. Look at verse 43 for a moment. And it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. There was an awe. The word there is fear. It's, it's a holy fear. You guys know what that is, right? That is sometimes when God is so big and so great, you are literally in awe of him. You're sitting back and going, wow. Now, we love casual here, okay? As you can tell with the untucked shirt. Somebody said to me last week, um, and I joked with them about this, but they they go, man, I just thought you were going to dress up for Easter Sunday. And I go, I've got khakis on and my shirt is tucked in. That's about as dressed as it gets for me, right? And so, so we're not talking about casual, you know, you want to be comfortable when you come. If you're comfortable in the suit, man, come that way. It's just, it's, we just don't make a big deal about it because it's just not a big deal, right? And so, so we understand that. But we never want to become casual in our worship. We never want to become lax in the understanding of what we're doing here. In other words, this doesn't want to be like a boy's locker room where we sit back and put our feet up and go, oh, yeah, all right, man. Hey, this is all about us because it's not about us. It's about a holy God. And when we come in, we can dress casually and sing certain ways and do things, but never with the thought and the mind off of how holy and awesome and amazing God is, right? And so that's the spirit that was here within this early church. And it came as an outcome of what? Of them dedicating themselves to these two things. And then there is favor, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. We're going to find very quickly that it doesn't mean that everybody loved Christians, Does everybody love you as a believer in Jesus Christ? No, right? But what it does mean is that for the most part, if you're a believer seeking God, submitting yourself to the authority of God, loving each other within the church, it makes a statement to a lost and dying world. They'll sit back and say, look, I don't agree with everything that your church believes, but there is something different about what you do. And the fact that you take care of people the way that you do and you live the lives and you're people of integrity, at least that I can respect. Third thing, and that is, that is faith. Look at verse 47, the second part of it. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think it's so interesting that we are constantly thinking over and over and coming out with new ways to be able to reach people for Christ. Now, let me explain that. We need to be striving to win people for Christ, right? But I don't think we become and reach people for Christ be, by becoming more like the world, 
making the church look more like the world, do things more worldly, sound more like the world, do all of these different types of things. And that's a fine line. Because some of you are saying, that's right, black ceiling, world. Right, oh, we get that. I, I get it. Okay? But what we're, what, we're, what we're saying is, what we're saying is, is that you don't, I don't think you win people by becoming more like the world. I think you be, win people to Christ by becoming more like Christ. To truly living out a submitted life to Christ by truly loving each other. When people look at us, and we're a strange group of people. Strange group of people, all different, all different backgrounds, educations and everything. But when you sit there and go, how in the world do you get along? He said, we get along because we devote ourselves to the teaching of Christ and to each other. That's the key. Now, very last thing. Nick, why don't you come at this point? So here's the thing. People are going to sit there and go, well, you said that it wasn't a list that you were to follow, but in, case, in actuality, you just gave us a list to be able to do. I'm not giving you a list to do something. What I'm ultimately trying to do is I'm trying to let you live like Christ, show you what it looks like to live like Christ. Did you see the gospel in this message? The gospel in this message from the beginning to end was that Christ submitted himself fully to the will of God. He said, I've come not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. As he's about to go to the cross, he sits back, and what does he say? He says, Lord, but not my will, but your will be done constantly. Your will, your word, what it is that you tell me to do, I'm submitting myself to. He says, church, you who say that you're Christ-like, little followers of Christ, you have the same submission with Christ. But Christ also did what? He committed himself to us, served us through his death. And so we live out the gospel, but not only being in submission to him, but committing ourselves to one another and going, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. I'm not here for you to serve me, but I'm here to be able to serve and to be able to use my gifts to see you and the betterment of you. Why? Because I consider you to be as equally as important as me, just as Christ did by giving his life for us. That's living out the gospel. So the two responses are this, either coming to faith and belief in that gospel, that Jesus Christ died for you, for your sins, to forgive you of your sins so that you can have a restored relationship with God, or you're sitting here going, that was already a reality. I want it to be more of a reality every day. Every day I want to be more committed to his word. Every day I want to be more committed to the fellowship. Why? Because my desire is to be like Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We thank you. We thank you for this time. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word. Now we come to be able to respond. God, I pray that we'll put the time into this response, Lord, through what we know about you. God, that we will be that church committed to your word. God, that be that church committed to fellowship, loving each other, the, the most loving, committed church that we can be through the power of your spirit. God, and for those who are here at this time and they just don't know you, I encourage them to call out to you and for them to say, God, save me. I'm not worthy of it, but you, you did what was necessary to save me. By faith, I accept you. And be, be born again. He'll, he'll save you right where you are. And for the others, for us to be able to rejoice and say, God, give us the strength. Holy Spirit, fill us to live this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Altar is open if you want to come. I'm going to be down here if you want prayer for anything. Just do business with God during this time as you reflect on the truth.
that makes me white as snow no other fountain no nothing but the blood of Jesus come here uh, so listen when we leave make sure that you encourage one another I'm just going to ask Pastor Dan to come I know he doesn't have a mic you don't have a mic, right? No big deal. I'll, I'll, Just I'll pray, I'll pray loud. project, my friend. All right. And he's going to close this out in a word of prayer. All right. Go ahead, bro.